0: Good morning. Good morning. It's very odd that I'm standing here to share God's word this morning with Brother Tony and Brother Bob here. So we'll always get more nervous. So um, we'll be preaching from uh, John chapter eight this morning, kind of continuing on in the book of John, and um, started at verse 1. I am not ready for snow. I, I will say that out loud. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them and the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even into the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I commend you. Neither do I commend thee. Go and sin no more. So the Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, if you remember last time uh, we preached on Jesus being a, a divider. Um, The Feast of Tabernacles had just wrapped up, and and if you remember the end of chapter 7, the temple guard where where Jesus was teaching, they came back to the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the church rulers and said, you know, they were all upset, or the rulers were upset that they didn't arrest Jesus. They said, well, never a man spoke like this man. And again, the Pharisees, you know, ridiculed them, played the peer pressure card, um, played the ignorant card and, you know, tried to really make them feel guilty that they didn't arrest Jesus. And um, a lot of the earlier transcripts, it's, and they, they play those cards on Nicodemus because Nicodemus said, you know, stood up for Jesus and said, hey, you know we we can't put this man to death unless we hear what he has to say if he's not committed any any crime. and then they played you know, all oh, are you just like them? Are you from Galilee? are you stupid or you believe what they say? and the the chapter ends where everybody going to their old house. and this chapter begins that Jesus went up to the Mount Olives and then went back down to the temple. Well, a lot of the earlier manuscripts, don't contain this passage of scripture. Um, back in uh, a lot of the research I did on this was this showed that, um, you know, some of the early people were saying, well, we're going to nix this from the Bible because it promotes immorta- or immorality. Um, uh, that the the scholars were embarrassed that Jesus was so easy on sin. Um so those are kind of the, some of the thoughts why some of the, some of the Bibles that you, you'll pick up won't even have this passage in it. The New revised standard, it's, it's actually a footnote, and the New English uh, Bible actually has it as like an appendix to the book of John. But I believe it's in its rightful place because it's a continuation of the last three or four chapters that we've preached from uh, the last few times of been able to stand, so um, here we are. It's the next morning. The feast is over, but there's still lots of crowds. Jesus goes down to the temple, and he's probably out in the temple court. A crowd gathers. He sits down. The crowd—some probably are sitting, some are standing—and just kind of, kind of picture it. You know, it's probably pretty quiet because you know, depending on how well the acoustics are, and as and Brother Andy. Uh, taught us that the acoustics were probably pretty good, um, that, you know, they had a crowd and they could hear Jesus teaching, and then all of a sudden you can hear hear uh, a crowd of people maybe coming from where Sister Amy's sitting and, and, and bringing people up through the crowd, you know, just kind of the hustle and bustle, and people will turn around and, and looking at what's going on and and you can pe- picture two the leaders having this woman, you know, grabbing her by the arm and and bringing her in in the midst of all these people. And no doubt this lady's frazzled. Maybe she's wrapped in a sheet or clothes tattered, tore hair, messed up. And and here they put her in the midst. And it's kind of kind of to paint the picture of of where we're at this morning. And. You know, here to the crowd that's come to listen to Jesus teach, they start to murmur, what's going on? What's going on? And then the accusers here uh, start out in, um, in, in verse 4 saying, they say unto him, Master, this woman who has taken adultery in the very act. So they, they make the accusation that, hey, this woman um, was caught uh, in 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 adultery, and and then this they uh, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? So they bring this woman in Jesus' presence with a crowd around them. Don't know how many of the accusers were with them. At least two or three. Because back in the day, according to the law, they had to have at least two or if not three witnesses to bring bring somebody uh, charges against somebody. And then they bring up the law of Moses and uh, the law of Moses. Well, you go uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 22 has a whole bunch of different scenarios about adultery and there was some double double standards built in there. So why the man wasn't there, not quite sure. But at least the woman uh, was there. And so, you know, today, you know, we, we look at something like this is that it, it's, it's kind of accepted in our, in our society that, you know, it's very commonplace for, for this this to happen. And. Um, it's just very for those who condemn it. This is this is uh, F. B. Meyer, who was a contemporary of uh, Dwight Moody. Uh, he was from England in the late 1800s. Had this to say: He said, "It is a terrible thing for sinners to fall into the hands of his fellow sinners." And I thought that was kind of an interesting point because the people who do all the condemning are just as guilty as those who were caught in the very act. And a contemporary Christian writer, Philip Yancey, said, the world is not divided by righteous and the unrighteous, but into sinners who admit they are sinners and the sinners who deny they are a sinner. Now, we often say we're sinners saved by grace, and that's true. There's not a single one of us here that's not guilty. You know, we may be talking about the sexual sin of adultery here, but I want us to just kind of think about this could be anything. This could be murder, cheating, whatever, whatever you can put in here. When it comes down to it, we're all spiritual adulterers. Because God created us. He breathed that living soul into us. It yearns to be back with him. But instead of choosing him, we want to choose the things of the world. And we are all guilty of that. So we have these accusers here. You know, oftentimes we get very captivated by it. We, we, we see it in the newspapers and we want to read the story. or We see it at the, on the magazine rack at the, at the grocery store or the, the different stupid shows on TV. I call them the Maury Povich and the Jerry Springers that they just... Make us feel good because we can't believe that we would be as stupid or as creepy as those folks on those shows. But deep down to that, we, we are. We're just as a, a mess, broken, wrong as everybody else. And we look at sin. Sin is sin. There's no big sins or little sins. You know, we look at the Ten Commandments. We've all broken them to some extent. The first four being our relationship with God. Five through ten, our relationship with people. Well, you may say I may have ne- never killed anybody, but you know, if you've hurt somebody's spirit or damaged somebody in some way, you've kind of murdered them, or maybe stopped them from becoming a believer in Christ by a bad witness or something. So you could go through each and every one and, and come up with some. Example of how we we fail and how we're just as guilty. There in verse six, some of the things this, this part of the accusers are kind of interesting is that um, they, they weren't even they weren't even concerned with with this lady and her actual sin. We go back to chapter seven. In verse 45, it says, Then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and, 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 and they said unto him, Why have ye not brought him? And the, the leaders were trying everything they could to entrap Jesus or trap him in, in, in something that they could have him arrested. And so they didn't catch him while he was teaching in the temple. And here they thought, OK, maybe we can, you know, maybe that's why the man wasn't with the woman. Maybe there's, you know, maybe it was one of the people that was actually accusing her, you know, set her up and, you know, just all the different scenarios that could have happened to have this woman in the, in, in the midst and trying to trap Jesus. Um. Like I said, why wasn't the man there? And with the, the, with the question that is posed there, you know, what sayest thou when they bring up the law of Moses? You know, there's, there's kind of three things at stake here you know, the woman's life, Jesus' reputation, and where the law of Moses stands. And, and Jesus is kind of in a pickle right now because if he says yes, Stoner, He's damaging his reputation of compassion and love, his gospel. If he says no, then he's undermining the Old Testament. If he says yes, then he's in violation of the Roman law because it was illegal for the Jews to put anybody to death. They had to go through the Roman court, just like Jesus being accused as blasphemy. And having go before Pilate and hung on the cross, so he he had all these different things going on, whether or not um, it was damaging his reputation of being a friend to sinners, or or breaking the law of Moses, or breaking the Roman law. So Jesus' responses he stoops down and starts writing on the ground with his finger like he's not paying any attention and for years people have wondered, you know, what he wrote and why why he did that. Maybe he was buying time to think about how he was going to respond. Well, he's God. He knew he knew exactly how he's going to respond. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was giving the folks a chance to examine themselves. But they kept pressing him. Master, Master, what what do you say? What do you say? She's guilty, right? Tell us what you want us to do. Stone her or not stone her? And then Jesus stands up. And then, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now you can kind of picture as Jesus is there on the, Stoop down. If I could stoop, I would, but I'll have a hard time getting up, so I'm going to hold myself up. I'm sitting there doing this, and everybody, the crowd, you can hear the crowd in the background murmuring. Those accusers saying, come on, Lord, give us an answer. And Jesus just not paying attention. And then He gets up and says something very profound as that. What do you think the accusers did? They were shocked. Speechless. You know, I, I've preached from this passage before, and you know I, I could picture them coming in with the rocks, but I don't know if that was very likely, because I doubt they would have stoned her right there in the temple. It was very customary to take them out to the gate and stone those who were guilty. They were shocked. You could just hear silence could hear the, all the murmuring and the whispering that the crowd was doing, all those bystanders, all those spectators. Nothing. Just as quiet as it is in here right now. Grace. Not yes or no. Grace. And with that answer, Jesus upheld the law. Both Moses' law and the Roman law and saved his reputation, exercised the gospel, all in that answer. Then he stoops back down. Then one by one, from the eldest to the last, they walk away. Maybe they went into the crowd. Maybe they left. We don't know. You now, From a theological standpoint, it's been debated what Jesus actually wrote. And the, the theological answer is, no one knows. Some people... Say all the Ten Commandments, he wrote the Ten Commandments. Some people say that he wrote the names of all those Pharisees and scribes and all the leadership there that brought this woman their name and then started listing all their imperfections, all their flaws, all their sins. Some have even said that he wrote their names and put the names of their girlfriends But the point is, no matter what he wrote, it's more what he said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They got them to the point where they were in verse 9, it says, And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, they were convicted. they realized, they, they came to that point where they realized that Jesus is right, I can't throw the stone. And then it goes on that they all left and the woman is there in his midst alone. Well, not really alone, but she's in the midst in front of the crowd that's still remaining. And that's just like each and every one of us. Many of us have had that encounter one-on-one with Jesus, just like this woman did. Each and every one of us has that encounter at some point in our life. Some interesting things here. He he addresses her. And I know if I would say woman, especially at the house, Missy would probably slap me. <laughs> because today it's kind of a derogatory or derogatory or or a, a downward type type saying or announcement. Back then, <coughs> Jesus uses that three times. In the book of John, woman. The other two times he's addressing his mother, the wedding of Canaan, and when he's hanging on the cross. And if you look at that word in the in the original language, it means lady, position of honor, a position of respect. Not that the woman. Actually, that was caught in the midst of adultery was that. But that was what she was to become. Because Jesus didn't condemn her. Where, where's your accusers? Lord, they're not, not, no one's here. Why condemn you not? Jesus forgave her. Looking to what it, the work he was going to do on the cross. Now some people say, well, it doesn't say that she actually repented. I think it speaks volumes that she stayed. Why didn't she run off as soon as her c- accusers? She stayed. And I think that speaks of the change that took place during this encounter. And it's the same, same way with us. The day I got saved, I was sitting where, where Grace is sitting, there by her mom. So standing there with by, by Missy. And I, man, I was, I was, I was locked in. I wasn't going to budge. But I had that encounter. One on one. And I was just as guilty as the woman caught in adultery. But Jesus didn't condemn me. He loved me. He died for me. Shed his blood for me. Rose again for me. On the cross of Calvary. Then he goes on. Not only does he not condemn her. He forgives her. But he challenges her. And that's the same challenge we have. Go and sin no more. That change that takes place. We try. We really try. But it's a battle. As Paul teaches us all through his writings, between the spiritual and the carnal. None of us are perfect. We all fall short. We're all a mess. But we know where we can go. We know where our, our life and our trust abide, and that's in Christ, in Christ alone. Like I said, we're all guilty of, of, of something. Like I said, spiritual adultery, just because we want to go our own way. We want to be the God of our own throne of our heart. We want to do the Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Pride, self, all those things. That, that is a hard thing submit surrender that's what God wants us to do and I believe this woman here did that she didn't run I think she tried to live her life holy after that we don't have any scripture to back that up but you know, I, I believe that in my heart that's why it's here that's why it's here in the book to show us that none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. We're all guilty. And if you're here this morning, maybe you've never had that one-on-one encounter. Maybe you need to realize that you need to submit and give your life to Jesus. But I think you think about it. Think about the story. Who are you in the who are you in the in the story are, are you one of the people in the crowd that came to listen to Jesus teach and you're just kind of sitting as a spectator not really participating in this story of amazing grace or maybe you're one of the people who have a, a accusatory spirit. That you like to look at the faults of everybody else to make yourself feel better. Just like the the, the, the prick or the moat in your own eye that we read about and study in, in Matthew that Jesus teaches us about. You know, we don't want to recognize our own sin, but we love to point out everybody else's. Or maybe you're... you're, you're you're the woman in this, in this story. Maybe you, 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 you're of the world. Not, not necessarily an adulterator, but just of the world. Never had that encounter one-on-one with Jesus. The one who created you. The one who loves you. The one who died for you. The one who justifies you through his resurrection. Give you a life eternal with him. Now I, I don't know why some of those probably scholars of the time back 2,000 years ago wanted to take this portion of the scripture out. But I think it's very important to us today. Mm-hmm. Because we see it everywhere we go. We experience it every day. We know people. We know, we know the bystanders. We know the accusers. And we, we think we know the ones who really need the Lord. So as we stand and have a verse of, of a psalm this morning, and just consider where you're at. Spiritually. We all make mistakes. We've all failed and fall short. God loves you. God will forgive you. And as, as Jesus tells the woman, go and sit no more. That's the challenge that we all have as we stand and sing. God sent His Son. They call Him Jesus. He